Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Dobrý večer and welcome to the Bohemian Podcast with Piet Coleman and Travis Dope. Dobrý večer from Prague and welcome to the Bohemian Podcast. I'm Pete Coleman. And I'm Travis Dope from the History of Alchemy Podcast. It was a cold April day in 1355. St. Peter's in Rome was preparing to receive its new emperor of Christendom. The Bohemian king, Charles IV, and his queen, Elizabeth, took center stage as German, Bohemian, and French nobility prepared for their ceremonial knighthoods a reward for loyalty to the reign of King Charles. The cardinal lowered the two imperial crowns upon the heads of Charles and his queen and presented the sword of Charlemagne to the new emperor. The crowd erupted in continuous cheers for their new Holy Roman Emperor, Charles IV. Tonight's spotlight focuses on Charles IV of Bohemia. The legacy of Charles permeates Prague like no other figure in Bohemian history. Visitors to Prague will notice that our subject this evening made significant impact to the city. Charles Bridge, Charles Square, Charles University, and nearby Karlstein Castle. This father of Bohemia sculpted Prague and the Czech nation into a medieval European superpower. The 14th century was a golden age of Prague, and Charles IV was her architect of success. Tonight we introduce the Holy Roman Emperor Charles IV. We talk about the great level of legacy that Charles IV left not only for Bohemia, but also for Europe as a whole, as a Holy Roman Emperor. What are some of the things that, that really stand out to you uh, as his legacy? If you're picturing the time of Charles IV and you're looking at um, what today is the Czech Republic in the context, um, if, if you go to Karlstein, there is a, which is a castle he had built, there's a huge mural, like a map on the wall. What's striking is that, so there's this huge map, and we're, we're looking at the Holy Roman Empire at the time, which is all of Germany, um, all of uh, Czech Republic today, and then basically straight down, you know, Austria and Croatia, all the way down to the Adriatic on one side, and then all the way to the other end of Italy, you know, along the Mediterranean and, and southern France. And it has Prague as its capital. So this is a huge swath of land. And then it goes, you know, straight north, all of Prussia, um, and even, even up into uh, what is today, you know, Lithuania, Latvia. 
and this this huge thing with you know right in the center Prague so we can talk about the architecture and and you know him making even if you're walking through the streets of Prague today you're looking at um, the most magnificent part of Prague is all things that he had commissioned and had built for instance in the castle which is the the biggest the biggest castle in the world that's still active today and right in the middle you see this St. Vitus Cathedral right and and St. Vitus you know this this great gothic cathedral right in the middle of the castle and then uh, he also created Newtown in 1348 you mentioned Charles University that was established at that time um, one of the oldest universities in in Europe the bridge project projects plural that he had uh, the hunger wall you know you'll you'll talk about the history but you know he he basically looked at Paris and said okay if we want to make a huge metropolitan capital city of Europe then you know we need to model it on at that time Paris obviously and uh, yeah you still see that today I mean is is the the influence of trying to make Prague a great empirical city it has its roots with Charles the fourth you can actually make some correlation between the 18th century and Peter the Great at the time uh, of of trying to make St. Petersburg into a, a power after 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 the patterns of what he saw in Western Europe, cities like Paris. So Charles IV did the same thing. He wanted to bring the seat of power to Prague. And what I really enjoy about about Charles IV is the fact that he is an all-around uh, innovator. He's an all-around leader and that really covered the basis when it comes to all the points of what it means to be a good leader. He was educated, uh, you know, as, as a young man in, in the court in Paris. You know, the confusion is that did he speak Czech? Most likely he spoke French and, and a little bit of German as well. But when he came to Bohemia, people would think he was an outsider. He had to kind of earn his stripes as an emperor. Uh, or as a king, rather, uh, when he came to the Czech, uh, when he came to the Bohemian lands. So Charles lived from 1316 to 1378. He was the second Bohemian king from the House of Luxembourg, and the first king of Bohemia to also become the Holy Roman Emperor. His other secular titles included King of the Romans, King of Italy, Margrave of Moravia, which was kind of like the Czech version of the Prince of Wales, basically, uh, King of Burgundy, etc., and you know many, many lesser titles. He was born Wenceslas, which in Czech would be Václav, and that was the name of his maternal grandfather, Wenceslav II, who was king of Bohemia from the Przemyslid dynasty, which is a, a you know kind of the founding dynasty of, of Bohemia. He chose the name Charles at his confirmation in honor of his uncle, King Charles IV of France, at whose court he was resident for about seven years. He was educated in France, like I think you mentioned that. He was given knowledge of various languages, like you mentioned, but beyond that also of history, mathematics, philosophy, kind of the standard noble royal education more or less. And before we go any further, Travis, uh, to jump right into his teen years and, and his young, young adult life, we really have to kind of think about what really molded this man into who he was. He unfortunately had a dad that was very complex. I think I, I would put that in, in very loose terms. John of Luxembourg was, well, um, would not win father of the year. Let's just say that. Uh, he uh, was very suspicious of, of everything that has been done. Uh, who, would, who would possibly even usurp his throne? He would even think his son would usurp his throne. At one time, he actually imprisoned his wife and his three-year-old son, Charles, in uh, Lokit Castle near Heb uh, in the western part of what is now Czech Republic and imprisoned him for, for some time. There's one story where he actually came up, John of Luxembourg came to the gate 
and the, the guards would not allow, on the queen's orders, would not allow him in. But he came with flowers, and he came with this sort of, I miss my wife sort of, uh, of rap, and they let him in. Big mistake. <laughs> it, because she wasn't playing ball with, with what he wanted to do, and he's afraid that she would leave, that he basically picked her up and, uh, her, and his son and, real, and put him to a, a different castle. So he, he grew up under stressful situations, and that didn't change even when he uh, was in his adulthood. There was that strain of relationship with his father. Again, Travis, you had mentioned that he did so many things. He was a, he was a man of knowledge. He was a man of action, and he wasn't afraid to get it, mix it up in battles as well. Uh, and uh, he did that, of course, in the Battle of Crecy with his father a little later on in his adult life. Yeah, I'll, I'll mention one little tidbit here is that Prague was not, didn't become the capital by design. So it, it was almost kind of an accident or just, you know, a, a, a thing of chance, more or less. At the time, there was the plague just furiously spreading throughout Europe, um, except Bohemia had somehow mirac miraculously remained untouched by the plague. And so while the rest of the empire was ravaged by the Black Death, um, you know, Charles ended up going to Prague and making that his capital to start, you know, and then starting his huge building efforts um, based off of his memories of his youth in Paris. So uh, Prague kind of got lucky a little bit, and, you know, if the, if the Black Death would have picked a different route, let's say, then um, it might have been a different, bit different capital that was the, the Holy, Roman Emperor, Holy Roman Empire's capital at the time. Well, but, yeah, let's, uh, let's think about this. You mentioned the Black Death, but what about the floods and the fires? This all happened pretty much sequentially during, during his, his young, his, uh, young uh, reign here that uh, we had epic floods in, uh, on the Vlatava River uh, where Prague is located and also a fire. So he used these tragedies as saying, okay, here's an opportunity for me to redesign the city in Clean my slate. image yep. without really upsetting a lot of the, the inhabitants uh, having forced removals or those type of things. So that's how Newtown came into, into existence. Mm -hmm. And uh, he also started moving things towards a better, education, a better educational system. And that's how we, we have uh, Charles University. Um, in fact, that university he, he founded, named after himself, it was the first kind of decent or, or large university in Central Europe, and again modeled after the, or modeled on the University of Paris. And the university at the time kind of served as a training grounds for bureaucrats, even jugglers, lawyers, you know, that kind of thing. He had a really interesting foreign policy. He don't. He did. Um, he annexed a huge chunk of, of Germany to Bohemia and uh, bought lands and estates for his, his, princess, his princess to uh, settle. Uh, he organized the emperor's succession of laws as well. So you can see that he's, he's thinking ahead here about how to uh, not only uh, uh, set up power, but to hold on to this power. Uh, after some internal strife, uh, which was pretty much the norm in the empire at the time, he added parts of Bavaria and Silesia uh, to Bohemia. Mm -hmm. Actually, one of the more important things was the Golden Bull of 1356, which settled the before-mentioned succession laws. Uh, it stood for the next four centuries. So uh, I can't think of too many laws that stand that long uh, on the books. He did that. Yeah. And so uh, he was, he was set, again, setting things up for proper succession of power, which pretty much at the time, if you were a ruler, that was really what your main focus was, was your heirs and who was going to succeed in certain power, power struggles. Czechs especially would consider this the, the golden age of Bohemia, right? I mean, you know, like I said, if you're walking the streets of Prague, you still see his influence some almost 700 years later. It wasn't just the creation of Bridges and the university that made Prague important. But these things, 
um, kind of created a golden age for literature and the arts, uh, really that started to, to that started under his leadership and planning. He's still regarded as the pater patrie, like kind of the father of the country. And in Czech, that's Otec Vlasti. You know, he's really the the kind of the founding father, if you will. Um, he encouraged early humanists. And even Nuremberg owes him a lot, too. He he stayed there some 52 times. It was so, it was a pretty big seat of power in the lower part of Germany. And, of course, as being neighbors to, which, to Bohemia. Yeah, it's not so, that far from the border. So. Not at all. Now, yeah, one thing that's very interesting, too, that I think our listeners would, would, would really uh, need, need to know about this is that, that Charles had a, uh, a penchant for getting things done quickly and, and, and thinking ahead about what was, what was to come next. I don't necessarily know if he got that from his father, John, but I, I will say that his mother probably influenced him a lot about what it, what it means to hold on to the people's hearts. And one of the things that he did that was significant was bring back the concept of Wenceslaus, St. Wenceslaus, the mm -hmm. patron saint of Czech Republic. Now, before then, it was kind, he was kind of... Uh, we mentioned this before in a previous podcast on on Saint Wenceslaus. His popularity uh, peaked and then then plummeted for some time, uh, depending upon religious powers and and Catholic sort of alienation at the time. So uh, he brought it back again, and he actually helped make the uh, Saint Wenceslaus Chapel in, in Prague Castle, and really kind of put the influence or emphasis rather on Wenceslaus being the patron saint of of these people. And so we can thank him for that as well. Another really important landmark that, w that we keep mentioning is uh, the Charles Bridge. Maybe the most important landmark, maybe second only to the clock, if, if that. Um, but the Charles Bridge, and I'm, even if you don't know what we're talking about by name, you've seen it before. It's in video games. It's in many films. Um, it's this famous stone bridge that's lined on both sides with statues of saints. Uh, with, you know, a, makes a beautiful panorama with the castle in the background and all that. But there's a cool story there, and, and that has to do with kind of numerology and, a, and kind of a superstition at the time. Charles was a, was a big believer in these kind of things and, and astrology and numbers and all that. And so on 5.31 a.m. on July 9th, 1357, he laid the first stone in place himself. And this exact time was very important because of, of his beliefs, like we said. So the, the, uh, those numbers is 1357, so 1357, July 9th, which is 9-7, and then 531 a.m. So it goes 1357-9-7531, right? So this was actually considered almost as important as the architectural strength that, um, you know, this numerology, so that gives it strength in itself. And uh, it has survived floods where the experts didn't say it would, so maybe there's a little something to it. Yeah, there, the, br the bridge has changed over the years quite a bit. There, there's yeah. one more fun fact about the bridge is that it has some three million eggs in it. Did I, ah. did I tell you that before? Yeah, I, I love this story. Uh, it's the one yeah. where, yeah, it, it sort of makes fun of rural communities, <laughs> which I think Czech, Czechs, or let's say Prague, Prague citizens kind of do that from time to time. But yeah, Travis, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, there was a call for more mortar for yeah, putting they the, use, the bricks together. Exactly, they used the eggs and, for the and mortar. They, and, they, and they wanted the eggs. Now, there's a funny story that a community uh, just east of Prague at the time wanted to do their civic duty, and they offered uh, the eggs from their chickens. Mm -hmm. Now, instead of sending the eggs in a cart, 
in, in their regular raw form so they can be broken and used into the mortar. They sent them um, already cooked. <laughs> So yeah. that was the joke going, oh great, those those rubes from the <laughs> from the from the sticks gave us gave us cooked boiled eggs. Fantastic. Thanks guys. Yeah. Uh but the, as any Czech will tell you, the, there are there are thousands of legends in this in this culture and they and Czechs love these legends. A lot of them are really too good to be true. Uh, a lot of them are are really long tall tales to be stretched out. But yet sometimes they want to find some truth in this and just recently, they actually, uh, during a reconstruction, wanted to take some of the older stones from this bridge and, ta- and date and look at chemical analysis to see if there were any eggs actually used in the mortar of, of these stones. I hear that they found uh, no traces <laughs> of, oh, yeah. of, the, of that type of protein. Doesn't mean necessarily we want to ruin that, that legend, but uh, it's interesting that they tried to, to look into that as well. That's, yeah, it's a famous story. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but you know what? The other thing that I w- want to bring attention to is the Hunger Wall. I love the story of the Hunger Wall and how it's attached to Charles IV. He was, to give our American listeners kind of a tip of the hat, this was actually something that FDR did <laughs> during, during yeah. uh, the big deal it's days of, of the project, Depression. Yeah. Exactly. There was a famine in, in Bohemia at the time uh, during his reign. And he had peasants that were dying by by the scores every day, and he needed to to do to do something to feed his peasants. But he wasn't going to give it freely. He was going to say, "Well, you know what? I think people can can work for these things, and when they work for it, that uh, we can actually kind of stem the the issue of having to find more food for people just to give it to them for free. Uh, they'll appreciate it more, and uh, we'll get something in return, which is." A defensive wall, and that's what they got. And when you come, yeah, heading heading north on, on the Vltava River, you'll see it just to your left, and it, it's it's you know, white 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 stones, and it goes right up right up the side yeah. of the hill, and uh, it's amazing that's still there today, and uh, that's because of him. And it, it was a work for food program from the Middle Ages. Yeah, when I was a tour guide, I was told to tell that story, but um, just for the accuracy. Uh, of the podcast, I got to say that, that there's been some critics with that story too. Uh, with every every legend, yeah, that, <laughs> there uh, usually is. I've heard like go <laughs> ahead and tell it to the tourists, but uh, probably not true either. But but the wall was commissioned by him, right? So just yeah, for what motivations is unclear. Let's say right now. Now, now we look at some of the things you see in Prague. There are statues to him. One of the more famous statues is actually right before the Charles Bridge, we, what we just talked about, and uh, it, that statue was put up in the in the uh, 19th century. It's pretty well known, but his fingerprint is basically everywhere, and you'll see that in in, in kings that didn't quite measure up to his level of, of uh, success af- after Charles IV, until you might even get, get to uh, Rudolph II. And when you get to Rudolph II, you'll see there's a lot of tip of the hat towards Charles IV. You know, Rudolph wanted to make Prague just as center of the world, center of Europe, as Charles did. Uh, so Charles really was the benchmark. Yeah. There's an, another landmark here is um, Charles Square, which was probably the biggest medieval square in Europe. So this is part of, of Lesser Town or New Town. And it's right where the first defenestration was. Like um, uh, it was called cattle market until the 19th century. Just like uh, Wenceslav Square was called horse market. In Charles's time, there was actually a, a wooden tower there where they would keep the crown jewels from time to time, and they would display them once a year. So if they weren't there, they were in Karlstein. 
In fact, Karlstein is just outside of Prague. We've mentioned it a couple times now, but that's where the crown jewels were normally kept and um, sort of along with other holy relics and that kind of thing. And today, and today, kind of pattern after that tradition is still still holds today. That uh, you don't get to see the, the the royal jewels or crown, the orb or scepter, maybe only every what five years or so. Yeah, the prime minister goes and take, takes. Yeah, a peek. They're, they're, I think there are five or seven La keys. I can't remember how many. It was yeah, seven keys. Seven yeah. keys, and and it goes to the magistrate of the city council of Prague, the president, yeah. the prime minister, and so it, it yeah. goes down the line, and they all have to have the keys to open up this. This uh, this uh, uh, locked area where the where the orb is kept, the the scepter of Charles IV, and his fingerprints are all over this as well too. Maybe literally, I don't know, literally, but let's just say that he had designed this crown, which is absolutely beautiful with all these different types of of, of rubies and emeralds and uh, and and designs and crosses. He designed it for the opulence and 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 to say that the king that sits on this throne with this crown on their head is it means something yeah. and uh, that for an emperor yeah. absolutely it has to be magnificent so he was all about what it meant to look the king and how to play the part and he did it well yep there, there's a couple other things named after him like uh, monte carlo in tuscany you didn't know that did you i did not know that it was named after old chuckle sauce uh, that's near Florence, which at the time was part of the, the Holy Roman Empire. And then Car Carlo Vivari, which is also known as Karlsbad. I mean, in, in English, we use the German name more often, which is a very famous health spa town. And uh, we actually mention it. We have a whole episode on that. Um, we also mention it in our beer episode because it's where Becherovka is from, which is a, a kind of a liquor. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of interesting things to see in that town. And he even has an asteroid named after him. You know you made it when you have an asteroid That's named right. after you. Yeah, 16951 Carlos Quartos, um, 1998 KJ, is a main belt asteroid discovered on May 19th, 1998 by P. Pravets at the Ondreov Observatory. So there you have it. I, I, it, when we talk about Charles IV, uh, we really just scratch the surface. There's so, so much more to the man than, uh, than we could probably put on one podcast. We know that he survived a very difficult childhood. Uh, we know that he actually loved his queen very, very much, Queen Elizabeth. He, uh, when she passed away, he did marry again. He also was kind of known after after his first wife passed away, kind of a, as a ladies' man. Uh, so uh, he he really he really kind of lived a nice full life. And his his uh, you know unfortunately Bohemia did never really reached that pinnacle again under a Bohemian king after after his passing. One note that that I would like to mention though that uh, among all his children, one one particular daughter actually did pretty well for herself, and that would have been Queen Anne of England. Who actually was married and uh, uh, married to um, Richard II in a very well-known love affair between the two. So she actually did pretty well for the for the as a queen of England and uh, carried on uh, his tradition. But after that, I think basically he was really just a man that stands out, and no one really kind of could fill his shoes. So we're very happy we could have brought the, we brought this information to you tonight. You can also check out Bohemican.com for more information on the Bohemican podcast and. Take a look at us on iTunes. We're there as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks very much. You have been listening to the Bohemican Podcast with Pete Coleman and Travis Doe. Visit bohemican.com for more information on this episode, other episodes, and much more information about history, traditions, and culture in the Czech Republic. 
Find us on iTunes, subscribe and review and don't forget to rate us. We would love to hear from you. Send comments, ideas and corrections on our comments page on bohemican.com or get in touch via Facebook or Twitter. Tune in to our sister podcast, History of Alchemy, which is also on iTunes or on historyofalchemy.com. Until next time on the Bohemican Podcast, thank you for listening.